Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Numerous studies over the course of the pandemic have shown the adverse effects of lockdowns on mental health. Studies show that pivoting to remote learning and taking away children's chances to connect with each other at school played a main role in child and teenage depression. The CDC analyzed teenagers' mental health in the first half of 2021 and found that mental health-related emergency hospital visits increased by 31% in 2020 and that overall 37% of students experienced bouts of poor mental health and almost 20% had seriously considered attempting suicide. As we just reported to you, since coming out of the lockdowns, we have yet to calculate the psychological tolls that they have taken, and we may never know the full extent. Suicides and drug-related overdoses have skyrocketed. We had a chance to speak with Dr. Carol Lieberman. She has a master's degree in public health, and she's a medical doctor specializing in the field of psychiatry. Here's part of our interview. Dr. Carol Lieberman, thank you so much for joining us in the Capitol Report. Thank you. Doctor, when it comes to the health impacts from the uh, lockdowns uh, following you know, COVID-19, uh, there was speculation that this could have been an issue in the early stages. Two years out, what do we know? Well, in terms of the lockdowns in America, um, we know that it was a big mistake <laughs> and in a lot of different ways, um, not only in terms of not really controlling COVID, the spread of COVID, but um, also because of the damage that it's done. We are so, I mean, of course, we, we talk about the children. They have been damaged by not going to school and, um, you know, uh, missing out educationally and missing out socially, developing skills that they're supposed to develop at those ages and so on. But even adults, we have been um, estranged from each other. We've become estranged from each other and we have lost our humanity. There is an increasing amount of violence. Um, part of that comes from the increasing amount of people uh, having time to spend on violent video games. A good example of this is in schools. Uh, kids, of course, spent a lot of their time on playing violent video games, and we now see a rise in uh, the amount of violence in schools. Kids. Uh, hitting not only each other, but hitting their teachers, hitting their coaches. I mean, we have between the the input of the violence, you know, the input of, of the media violence, notably video games, and the dissociation from other humans, it is a very dangerous combination. Now, you mentioned uh, in the U.S. there's also been some uh, pretty draconian lockdowns uh, measures taken in, in China. Specifically, we're, we've seen some videos out of Shanghai, uh, China, with people screaming from their balconies. We're hearing reports of increased suicides. How concerning is it to you the things you've, you've, you've been seeing coming out of China? Yes, China is the ultimate, the ultimate nightmare. Um, and I, I keep hoping that people in America are going to realize people who were so, who were sheep basically, and who were so ready to do whatever we were told, whether it was lockdowns or masks or six feet or boosters and all of it. Um, you know, we now see in Shanghai where people don't really have very much choice, where the government is um, very totalitarian, just, you know, this is it, what, what we tell you to do, you have to do. 
Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that Americans are watching this, watching, you know, what is happening in Shanghai and realizing that if we didn't and don't um, speak up more for our freedom, you know, there's this incredible um, line that the government in China has been telling people, and that's um, they've been having drones and robots shouting out to people, you know, um, control your soul's desire for freedom. Control your soul's desire for freedom because of the fact that people are, are protesting and some people are jumping off balconies and um, kids are wearing hazmat suits. But, you know, they're trying to control the, the protests that they don't get out of control. And But that, that idea that, you know, uh, it's our soul's desire for freedom, but that's not good and just ignore that. So that's what I'm saying. I hope Americans realize that if we... Um, ignore or keep being sheep and following all the rules that the lockdowns and so on in America, uh, that this we could end up like that. Like you said, I mean, we've been told to uh, follow the science. So I guess, you know, is the data, is the hard data there now? I mean, we've seen places like Sweden that, that took no uh, measures. And then you, you look at another microcosm when you compare a place like California to Florida in terms of how lockdowns did not reduce cases between those two states that took a different approach. What right. can we make of these examples and our official, you know, are our officials that are suggesting these lockdown measures? Uh, measures having these discussions, do you think? I mean, yes, they kept saying follow the science and the number one uh, uh, arbiter of science was Dr. Fauci, who I think should be locked up uh, and charged with criminal, you know, uh, charges and locked up uh, because, I mean, that's it. We have come to realize that a lot of the motivation for these so-called scientific um, rules really had to do more with money, more with power, number one, and then also money. Um, money, you know, from getting money to the pharmacy companies, the pharmaceutical companies who made the vaccines. And it was just, it was, it was a, I don't want to say totally that it was a spoof on America, but, you know, um, other things that happened were that the, the real uh, reporting of um, adverse reactions, the real reporting. I mean, we didn't get real reporting. That's the problem. You know, talking about medicine, um, it, what's interesting is that in Shanghai, um, people who had COVID and who had um, other illnesses, comorbidities, the in Shanghai, they want to try to say that they're working, you know, this, that this um, no COVID policy is working and that therefore they're saying that the people who died, died from these other comorbidities, not from COVID. Whereas in America, they have been doing the opposite. You know, they wanted to make it seem like there were more COVID cases, that the statistics were worse so that people would get the vaccines. So in, in America, in hospitals, when someone died, um, if they had co comorbidities, they were still counted as a COVID death. So, you know, basically, um, to our extent, to some extent, American government, and certainly to a larger extent, uh, 1984 extent, the government in Shanghai or in China, um, it has just exerted its power. In America, I think it was a test run to see just how much, how many Americans would become sheep and just follow blindly. It's the fear, it's the idea of generating fear 
that um, then causes people to just listen to um, to you know so-called science or so-called arbiters of science because people are scared. Dr. Carol Lieberman, thank you. Thank you. Yesterday, the Starbucks flagship store in Seattle voted to unionize. This comes amid a wave of labor activities among big firms. The Seattle flagship store is the latest Starbucks location to form a union. In the past few months, over 26 Starbucks locations have unionized. More votes will be held in the upcoming weeks. Starbucks this week filed complaints accusing a union of intimidating workers and customers. The nationwide campaign to unionize Starbucks is part of a larger movement. Workers at an Apple store in Atlanta on Wednesday filed a petition to hold a union election. This is the first Apple store in the U.S. to formally seek a union. And earlier this month, an Amazon warehouse in New York City voted to form the first union. Many companies who have advocated for left-leaning policies are now being faced with a bit of a conundrum as their employees attempt to unionize. As we just mentioned previously, Starbucks and Amazon are two companies who are fighting back against these unions. As we try to make sense of what side of the fence these big corporations will ultimately land on, our next guest will give us some insight. Mark Mix is president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Here's what he had to say. Mark Mix, thank you so much for joining us in the Capitol Report. My pleasure to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Mark, we're seeing a lot of these major corporations, uh, Amazon, Starbucks, who stand behind a lot of these social justice causes. Yet when it comes to their own employees mobilizing and trying to unionize for workers' rights, uh, they're fighting back. Uh, what's to make of this? Yeah, well, these are interesting times when it comes to Amazon and Starbucks and, and other movements around the country when you talk about unionization. You know, it is really interesting to see them support kind of radical social causes. And then when their bottom line is effective, they step in and, and fight back uh, dramatically and aggressively. And so, they're, you know, what the, the bottom line of all this, as far as unionization is concerned, is, look, federal law allows workers to join together uh, to amplify their voice in the workplace. And if employers aren't taking care of their employees, that's exactly what employees will do. Interestingly enough, I mean, I think employees generally are taking care of their, their employees across the country. Excuse me, employers are taking care of their employees because the unionization rate in America is down to 6.1% of all private sector workers. And frankly, what that means is, is that employers are generally taking care of their workers. And so what we're seeing here, and if you believe everything you hear in the, in the corporate media about this, is that there's a, a workplace that people aren't happy with and they're gonna try to fix it by unionization. I'm not sure they understand exactly what it means when at the end of the day, they're gonna be forced into a union collective and a union's gonna speak for them in the workplace and they won't be able to talk to their employer, or their supervisor, and then they'll have to adhere and, and to live by a contract that's negotiated by union officials that may not benefit everyone that's there. So we'll see. Um, I'm a little bit uh, surprised that you know a, a company like Starbucks who talks about uh, all of these issues of equity and other things, when, when it comes to their bottom line, uh, they're fighting back aggressively against this unionization drive. As you mentioned, the unionization rate has, uh, has dropped uh, tremendously, especially since the 80s when it was at about 20%. Um, yeah. Why are we suddenly seeing such a wave of uh, unionization upticks among these small uh, companies? 
Well, actually, actually, we're really not seeing an uptick in unionization. In fact, the statistics are that the unions have lost about 807,000 members in just the last five years. The number of certification elections is down dramatically. If you go back to, I think it's 2015, you'll see that there were roughly 1,600 uh, certification elections held on an annual basis by the NLRB. To down, Now we're down to about 840, 846 or something like that. So the number of unionization drives is very, is, you know, is growing smaller all the time. So, but what we're hearing about because of the high profile of, of Starbucks and Amazon, we're, we're thinking this is a dramatic trend in the workplace. The fact of the matter is employers are taking care of their employees. Um, it's no doubt that the government's got their finger on the scale trying to maximize governmental power to compel more workers to be into unions. We've got a National Labor Relations Board that's trying to radically change labor law to basically say the government's now going to be more enthusiastic about unionizing workers as opposed to union organizers. You know, when I study uh, the history of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, it basically uh, started uh, from unions. So historically, do you think that the union in general is a hotbed for socialist ideologies? I think absolutely right. You know, when we talk about the union movement, we can go back to the uh, 400s um, and see guilds and workplace guilds show up. But even the, the Chinese have more of that even farther back in the past. And and now when you overlay a, a tyrannical government like the Chinese government, um, you know, it's like, okay, the unions are great, but because the government tells us they're great. We're getting more and more in line with that here in the United States, unfortunately. In fact, there's a, a new uh, kind of thought process, uh, an agenda out there that is growing, getting growing support among Biden administration folks and bureaucrats and so-called academics around the country that talk about sectorial bargaining. And this is kind of the labor policy that is, uh, that is basically emasculated Europe. Uh, when it comes to their industries and how they unionize and what these people are thinking about. And Amazon and, and Starbucks are kind of just the start of this. They're saying and they're thinking and Harvard Law School and the guy by the name of Ben Sachs has put this out there and it's been adopted by lots of, I said, so-called academics or pseudo-academics. And what they believe is that if they can get 5,000 workers or 10% of a, of a workforce uh, engaged in a union, that that is enough to basically certify the union across the entire industry. So that now the, a union would step in and they would negotiate kind of industrial policy, if you will, for all the workers in the coffee business. So now Pete's Coffee, the employees there and all the workers at, at Starbucks that haven't decided whether they want to be in or not would be covered by this system-wide agreement. Now. I think that probably the Soviet Union and China would be very comfortable with that type of environment. But in the American experiment of self-government and individual freedom, I think we should. there will be a pushback. And certainly, it won't start necessarily here at the Right to Work organization, but we'll be part of it for sure. Mark Mix, appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review, as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.